good evening to each and every one of you. It's good to have you here with us. And uh, I'm excited about the sanctuary lessons that we are studying as we're continuing to learn how to walk with Jesus and to place that walk in end-time prophecy. But uh, before we begin this evening, we need a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And of course, God has promised to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him. So I am going to kneel. In fact, I'm going to ask you if you'll join me in kneeling. Let's, let's kneel before the Lord. Oh, Father in heaven, you are the great and awesome God. We're so thankful for a love that just wouldn't let us go. And this evening, as we gather, Father, uh, to continue the studies on the sanctuary, we need you. We need a mighty outpouring of the Holy Spirit because it is through the power of the Holy Spirit that we can discern and understand truths. You are our teacher, Lord. I am merely, Father, your representative, but I am asking, Lord, for your words to be placed in my mouth. I claim that promise in John 4, 14, 26, that you will bring to my remembrance the things that you have taught me. And, um, and I ask for that now, and I thank you so much. So, Lord, uh, I pray that each one will hear the lesson you would have for them this evening, and we ask this in Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. In our last presentation, we learned that when Jesus is done with his work uh, in the most holy place on the Day of Atonement, he will then close up shop and come and take us home. And in that presentation, uh, we, we talked about the fact that in the Old Testament, God had prophesied uh, how Jesus would come, how the Messiah would come. Uh, it, it prophesied the city, right? What was the city that Jesus was born in? Bethlehem. It was Bethlehem. It prophesied some of the signs, one being the, the star. Uh, it also prophesied the year in which Jesus, the Messiah, would manifest himself. And, uh, but interestingly enough, uh, at the time of Christ's appearance, there were two very popular teachings of how the Messiah would present himself. Actually, one popular. One not so popular. And the not so popular one was based on scripture. The other one was very popular because it appealed to the carnal heart that the Messiah would come out of nowhere as a conquering hero to bump off the Romans and Israel would attain to world dominion. And when Jesus did come, the majority of his people embraced the false teaching and rejected him. And here we find we are living, we can all agree, in the closing moments of earth's history. And, uh, and here again we find two popular teachings, or one popular, on how Christ would uh, return, one not so popular. But the one not so popular is based on Scripture. And some of the things we brought out in that study is that uh, the coming of Christ was not going to be a secret event. In fact, it would be noisy. The Bible describes it as being stormy, uh, that there would be trumpets, uh, there would be shouting and roaring. The Bible says that every eye will see him, okay? So that doesn't sound like a secret event, does it? Uh, it would be literal. There would be clouds and angels. And uh, in fact, it says all of his angels is what we learned. So the skies will be filled with radiant forms. I kind of think somebody's going to notice that. And uh, it also describes the fact that at Christ coming, the dead in Christ will be raised. I'm going to be talking a little bit more about that tonight. And then those who uh, are alive at Christ coming, the saints, and those who, the dead saints who are raised will be caught up together. That's the rapture. And it's not a secret rapture. Rapture only means caught up, and they'll be with the Lord. There is no secret element. And that's what we studied uh, in our last presentation. Tonight, we're going to go a little deeper into what happens when you die. You know, this is a very relevant question. I don't know how many of you have been looking in the newspapers, but ever since um, COVID, there have been a lot of uh, people who have been saying that they're being visited by dead loved ones. How many have been seeing that on the, on the, in the news? Um, I should print those things out. But it's really been really... In fact, there's an uptick 
in that. It's very, very interesting. So we really need to know what the Bible has to say about this because we're learning through the series that for every truth, the devil has a, a counterfeit. Nobody counterfeits a $3 bill because there aren't any. And so the devil, what he does, he always mixes, mingles a little bit of truth with enough error to destroy you. That's how he rolls. And so we need to know what the Bible has to say about the subject. And to really understand uh, the topic of what happens when you die, we have to go back to Eden. That's where the problem began. And we learned that in the Garden of Eden, God had uh, given to Adam and Eve free reign of the garden. They could have all of the fruit of any of the trees they wanted, but one. The tree uh, of life, uh, excuse me, of knowledge of good and evil. We're going to be spending some time on that tonight. But there was another tree there, and that was the tree of life. And the tree of life was a symbol of man's uh, dependence upon God for life. And as long as they had access to the tree of life, they had life. Uh, and it was to remind them that life did not derive from themselves, from an outside source, from Him. And of course, that life was conditional upon obedience. And that, a lot of people don't want to talk about obedience today, but the Bible talks a lot about obedience. And so a test of their loyalty to God was provided them uh, so that they can still have tree, uh, access to the tree of life. And of course, the other tree of knowledge and good and evil, they were to stay away from. They could have any other tree and eat from. But uh, as the old saying goes, the rest is history. They did sin. Sin is the transgression of God's law. And the Bible tells us that the wages of sin is what? Is death. But aren't you glad, friends, that the story did not end there? Isn't that beautiful? You know, I, when I think about that, it really touches my heart to think that Christ could have stayed in heaven. I mean, who would, have, who would have blamed him? But to him, heaven wasn't a place to stay while we were lost here. And so what did he do? He took off his crown. He gave it back to his father along with the scepter. And he came into the cesspool of a world. He risked eternal loss to save you and me. What a savior. Oh, how, I, I, it's just a shame that the world doesn't know this. We need to be telling them, don't we? But he gave us hope. And so today, Jesus not only came as our sacrifice, but today he is our great high priest in heaven. And our high priest, Jesus, has the keys to the grave. And I want to see, I don't have the next slide. Let me see, no. Oh, wait, I do have it there. All right, so Revelation 118 Uh we find these words. Jesus says, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the what? The keys of Hades, or the grave, and of death. So Jesus, through his victory, uh, he has the keys now to set free those who are captive to death. He has the right. But not only that, but Jesus also has the experiential right to explain to us what death is because he's been there and done that and resurrected. And uh, what this study is going to do for us, it's actually going to lay the groundwork for our next presentation on phase two of the judgment. And you'll recall that in phase one, we looked at the investigative judgment where the genuineness of the decisions who those who have given their lives to Christ is investigated. Well, phase two, we're going to look, is going to uh, be about the sentencing stage of the judgment, the judgment being in three parts, which we already looked at. Okay, well, if you have your lessons with you, let's take a look at question number one. Uh, what are some of the different concepts regarding death? Well, you know, there's all kinds of stuff floating around out there, uh, especially, you know, we in America, we just kind of pay attention to what's here, although a lot of the world is here in America. And you can run in all kinds of things, and, and, and we can add to this list. But the most well-known ideas, the first is that life ends, and that's it. You know? Uh, this, of course, has a lot to do with evolutionary theory. Lightning struck a mud puddle, we squirmed out. There's no point to our lives, you know? You die, that's it. 
Um, the other is that the, re- the dead return as a spirit. Um, and of course, you can haunt. Some of you may be familiar with the Winchester house. Any of you familiar with that? Lady was uh, haunted with uh, the many who died, I guess, in her mind uh, from the Winchester rifle. And so, uh, so they, she was advised to keep adding onto her house stairwells and uh, staircases that went into nowhere to try to confuse the spirits, so they couldn't find her, I guess. Uh, The other is that the dead return in a different life form, reincarnation. So if you're good, you might return as a rich person. If you're not, you can come back as a fly. Um, And uh, the other is, uh, one of my favorites actually is in the South Pacific, that um, they say that when you die, your spirit comes out your big toe in the form of a butterfly. And uh, so if you ever wondered where butterflies come from, well, and, um, but the other, which is uh, most popular is that after one dies, they either go straight to heaven or straight to hell. And I don't know about you, but I have been to many funerals and I haven't never seen anyone preached into hell. Now I know it happens. Anybody here been to one where they were preached into hell? I'm just curious. No, everyone went straight to heaven. And uh, so, but, but the question is, what's the truth on this? And uh, if you are a Bible-believing Christian, you know that if you're going to find truth, you're going to have to find it in God's Word. So we're going to take a look at what God's Word has to say. We're going to get to the bottom of this. So let's take a look at question number two. Do the dead come back to converse with or to haunt the living? Let's see what the Bible says. Job 14, 21. His sons come to honor and he does what? He does not know it. They are brought low, and he does what? He does not perceive it. So uh, the person who dies and their sons come and bring flowers to the grave, the guy who died is completely unaware. And if those same sons have a very difficult life, the Bible says that uh, the dad, who in this case, in this illustration, is completely unaware. That's what the Bible says. Um, Let's take a look at Ecclesiastes um, 5, 6, and 10. But the dead know what? That's pretty comprehensive, don't you think? The dead know nothing. And they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. Also their love, their hatred, and their envy have now what? Perished. Never more will they have uh, a share in how much? anything done under the sun. In other words, in this life. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is what? No work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the what? In the grave where you are going. So, so death brings an end to thought and feeling. It brings an end to consciousness. That is the Bible testimony. And if we're Bible-believing Christians, we're going to believe the Bible. That's the testimony. It's really interesting. I, I sad, sadly, well, many of you know my experience. I almost committed suicide. Both of my grandfathers did. And so I tend to be kind of really sensitive to this, and I can kind of pick up where, when people are going down into depression and pick up some signs and, 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 and key things that they may be toying with this idea. I, by the way, I just flat out ask them. If, I, if I'm suspicious, I will ask Are you thinking about taking your life? Don't worry about hurting their feelings. Just be concerned about saving a soul. And anyway, and uh, and so I've I've talked to some that have been pretty persistent, so this is what I've said to them. I said, you are aware that when you die, you're not going on a vacation to Hawaii. You you do recognize this fact. You're you're not going to end up on Waikiki Beach and, and getting a suntan. I said, you know, when you die, your consciousness ends, and then the next thing you know, you're standing before the judgment bar of God. I said, so there's no vacation here. I said, so you're escaping one problem, and you're going to be entering into another. I said, are you ready to stand before the Lord? And I can see the light bulbs go on, because they hadn't quite processed it that way. But, uh, but in any case, when a person dies, there is no consciousness. Now, there are a bunch of texts we could have looked at, there's some, just a smattering here we'll look at. Uh, the dead do not praise the Lord. You would think that if a person died and went straight to heaven, they'd be praising God. Isn't that right? The Bible says, no, nah, you're not, you know, the dead don't praise God. 
Uh, in Psalm 6, 5, it says, for in death there is no remembrance of you. Uh, so they're not even thinking about God. Now, if you went to heaven, you think you'd be thinking about God, right? Or if you went to, you know, to hell and you're burning up, I think you'd be thinking about God too there, you know, get me out of here, please. So uh, obviously, there's no remembrance. I'm not even thinking about, uh, about God. In Job 7.10, it says, he shall never return to his house. Okay, so that rules out haunting. And uh, what's the next one there? Uh, Psalms 146.4, in the very day, his thoughts do what? It's perish. There is a consistency here, friends. Uh, I, keep, I keep telling Bible students, don't let people do your thinking for you. Uh, think for yourself. Uh, study the Word of God for yourself, and you're in for an exciting journey. And that's what we're on tonight. Take a look at question number three. According to the book of Revelation, who has the keys of death? Well, we looked at this text earlier. Revelation 1.18, I am he who lives and was what? Dead, and behold, I am what? Alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of Hades, the grave, and of death. So Jesus, whatever he has to say about this is going to be spot on. If I had to make a choice between believing what a scholar has to say, if it's opposite of what Jesus says, uh, what choice would you make? You go with Jesus. Very, very important. Question number four. How did God make man in the beginning? This is really significant because if we're going to understand how death works, you have to understand how life works. Very, very important. Genesis 2, 7. And the Lord God uh, formed man out of the what? The dust of the ground, and he did what? breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man, this next word is very key. What's the next word? He became a living soul. The Bible does not say he was given a living soul. It does not say he has. It says he became, he is. Another word for that would be a being. A being. And uh, I, I uh, often teach young people, and I like to use this illustration. Ooh, I don't know if you can see it because of the glare, but, um, you know, this is supposed to be a light bulb, and that's a filament. But if you have a light bulb and you add electricity, you end up with? With light. Uh, bulb, electricity, equals light. If you take away electricity, what happens to light? It goes out. You still have the bulb. Uh, so you can have the body and the breath, and you have a living being, but you take away the breath and the being is gone, even though you still have the body. You still have, the soul is gone. Uh, another illustration I like to use is one with uh, uh, boards plus nails equals box. But if you pull the nails out, what happens to the box? It goes away. And, and so God creates man out of dust of the ground. There's a body and he breathes into him life. Now you need to understand something. God is life. Anything that has life, it is borrowed from the source. Does that make sense? It's borrowed from the source. So when uh, a, a, an individual dies, that energy, that spark, that electricity, if you will, that, that, that animated that soul, that person, and made him a living soul, goes back to God. Does that make sense? But that electricity, that charge of life, has no consciousness. Any more than electricity has consciousness and produces uh, light when it's connected to a filament. And so that's how, if we're going to understand death, we have to understand creation. And take a look at the note right below number four. The Hebrew word for spirit is rucha and carries the meaning wind. The Greek word is pneuma, which means air or breath. Thus two things happened at creation. God formed man from the dust or earth and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Thus man became a living soul. You know, one thing that really has fascinated me, if I can just detour here for a moment, is that when God created stuff, he just spoke it. But when it came to man, he enters into the atmosphere, lands on some meadow, I suppose, and, and then God on, on his hands and knees 
and got his hands dirty, informs us. He didn't have to do that. And then, then breathes into man his breath and this, this clay sculpture comes to life. And you know, what was the first thing Adam saw? Was his creator. How cool. I, I would love to have been, I was going to say a fly on the wall, but I don't know that I want to be that, but I would love to have just seen uh, that incredible moment. But breath, that spark of life, is borrowed from God. And whether we serve God or not, whether somebody is saved or lost, that charge of life returns to the giver. Does that make sense? But there is no consciousness in that. Let's take a look at question number five. Let's continue to see the Bible testimony. What happens at death? Ecclesiastes 12, 17. Then the dust will what? Return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will what? Return to God who gave it. And uh, pretty simple. Let's take a look at question number six. Where do the dead go when they die? Job 21, 32 says, Yet shall he be brought to the what? Grave and shall what? Remain in the tomb. Uh, and in Job 5, 28 and 29, it says, how many? All who are in the graves will hear his voice and what? And will come forth. So this text is basically telling us that there's going to be a resurrection for those who serve the Lord and those who did not serve the Lord. That, and so there is a resurrection from the first death. We're going to learn that the Bible talks about a second death. There is no resurrection from that death, only from the first. We'll, we'll unpack that a little more. I want to answer a question for you that many, many ask. So you haven't asked it, but it's often asked. Open your Bibles to Luke 23. Luke chapter 23. And of course, we're looking at that moment when Christ is on the cross. Um, this, this has often brought quite a bit of confusion to people. But um, remember what I've said in the past, that if you're going to be a Bible student, you have to be a good detective. You know, I hate to say this. <laughs> I saw a bumper sticker the other day. It said, um, thinking, America's other deficit. And uh, people, people really don't like to think. They just want all the data given to them. And people, that is so dangerous, especially when it comes to spirituality. Uh, God, we're created in his image, and God thinks. He wants us to think. And, uh, and so the Bible really calls for us to think. And so we have to be good detectives. And you know, a good detective always gathers evidence. Isn't that true? And gathers data... And if, and if a good detective sees a hundred things pointing to this truth and two things pointing the opposite direction, a good detective always goes with the weight of the evidence. And when you study the Bible, we have to do the same thing. So it doesn't, I can only think of one thing in Scripture that doesn't have a contra, uh, uh, an appearing contradiction to it. But every other teaching in Scripture has an appearing contradiction. So you'll see 50 things that say, yes, this is true, and one or two that seem to point in a different direction. Well, a good detective's going to go with the 50. And then in time, with much prayer and study, the other two will come into line. I can't tell you how many people will look at the 50 and look at the two and go, I like the two better. And we'll go with the two and override the 50. You will never arrive at truth doing that. You have to go with the weight of evidence. I remember uh, Swell and I, when we were living in Tennessee, we had a yellow lab that liked to wander. So I had to build a fence in the back, and it was about three-fourths of an acre. Anybody did those fence with those post, those post things? You've done it? And I had done one line. I had about 50 of those things down, and I looked back, and two of the posts were out of line. How many of you think that I got the other 48 and move them back to match the two. No, we got the two and matched it up with the 48. Does that make sense? We've got to do that with Scripture as well. So we're going to look at one that appears to be a contradiction to what we've just seen in Scripture. 
um, Luke 23, and I am going to pick up in verse 39. And of course, this is that moment that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is on the cross, and he is, has thieves on either side of him being crucified as well. And uh, verse 39, it says, Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Let me pause right there. Does that give you hope? I mean, this is the 11th hour. This guy is on death row and uh, for a crime he committed. And he asks the Lord to remember him. Let's see Jesus' answer. Verse 43, And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so many say, well, pastor, he says right there, I say to you, today you're going to be with me in paradise. So let's stop and think about this for a moment. What do we find in paradise? When Jesus is talking about paradise here, what is he referring to? Heaven. Okay, so what's in heaven? God is in heaven, right? So if he's going to be in paradise that day, he's going to be with his dad, his father. Isn't that true? Well, let's see what the Bible testimony is in regards to to this. So let's open now to the book of John. Did Jesus, in fact, go to heaven to be with his Father on that day? Let's go to John chapter 20. John 20, if you're there, please say amen. If you're not there yet, say mercy. Okay, so you're there. And I'm picking up uh, John 20, I'm picking up in verse uh, 11. But Mary, and of course, this is now resurrection morning. But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, because they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Uh, she didn't get a good look at these guys because her eyes were filled with tears, evidently, and they were very blurry. Now, when she had said thus, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? She supposed him to be the gardener, said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. Isn't that amazing? Pause right there. No, no, I mean not. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, just the way he said her name. She knew. Which is to say, teacher, Jesus said to her, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. So evidently, whatever Jesus meant when he was talking to the thief in verse 23 he was not implying that he was going to heaven that day. So what's going on there? Um, in the Greek, in the Greek, the Greek language has no punctuations. The English language does. So whoever is translating has to decide where that comma goes. And wherever his theological leanings were determined where that comma went. But let's take a look at this carefully. And so this is a text, Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, comma, today you'll be with me in paradise. But let's change the comma. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in, par in paradise. In other words, he's saying, hey, I'm telling you right now, you're going to be with me in paradise. He wasn't saying, I'm telling you, you're going to be with me in paradise right now. Do you see the difference? It's really interesting because I don't know how many of you are aware of this, but that's not the only place where there's a comma mistake in the Bible. And specifically in the um, King James Version, you'll see this. Uh, this is a text, you, you know, there are a lot of demands on the Apostle Paul for healing. In fact, Swell and I were talking about this the other day. And uh, so he couldn't be everywhere at once, so he would uh, have prayer for somebody back in where... Uh, Jerusalem, and he would then hand his, a handkerchief to someone and say, why don't you take it to Bill, who right now is suffering, and lay this on him, he'll be healed. 
Okay, so that's what's going on in this text. So, uh, so that from his body were brought unto this, the sick, handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. And now, I read it correctly. You see it. I read it correctly, but there's a comma missing. It says that there are sick handkerchiefs. Handkerchiefs don't get sick. Uh, so we can see that translators, at times, they're, they're, there's a mistake. The, 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 the punctuation, I should say, the punctuations are not inspired. So please know that. It's the ideas that are inspired, but mercy, you change a comma, you change the idea pretty fast. Are you with me? But see, this is one of those spikes that's out of line. Let's bring it in line with the rest of the Bible testimony. Um, let's go to question number seven. The Bible makes it plain that uh, the Bible makes it plain that King David is saved. Is he in heaven now? If you look at uh, Hebrews cha- chapter 11, that's the, the, the faithful hall of fame, and uh, you will find David listed there. And so he is definitely one of God's guys. Acts 2.29, Men and brethren, let me speak freely to you of the patriarch David, that he is both what? Dead and what? Buried. Yes, join me so I, so I know you're still awake. And his tomb is with us to this day. And then, of course, Acts 2.34 says, For David did what? Not ascend into heaven. Uh, Pretty, pretty clear, isn't it? That's what the Bible says. He hasn't gone yet. David is waiting like the rest of the faithful for the second coming. And they will hear the voice of the life giver. And they will come forth. That's a consistent Bible testimony. Now, I really debated whether I should bring this up or not, but the Bible actually uh, reveals to us there are some, some people, in, some humans in heaven. Isn't that true? Give me, give me, uh, give me a few. Actually, there is a few. <laughs> okay, Enoch, Elijah. Ah, Moses. Moses is the tricky one. Because Enoch and Elijah did not see death. They, uh, what the Bible refers to, were translated. But uh, not so with Moses. Open your Bibles to the book of Jude. You probably don't turn there very often. But Jude is before Revelation. Let me give you a little background here. Uh, You know, Moses um, was a faithful servant of the Lord, the most meek man that ever lived. That is amazing. Uh, He was a friend of God. And uh, Moses was faithful, but on the very shores of the Jordan, he kind of lost his view on the Lord, got frustrated with, with the Israelites who wouldn't. And, uh, and so he ended up hitting the rock twice when God had told him to speak to the rock. And, uh, and as a result from that, he couldn't enter the promised land, and he ends up dying. And um, <clears throat> God calls him up into the mountain, and he dies there. And we really don't hear much more about him until we get into New Testament. But before we get there, um, let's find out a little bit more about what happened after he died. And in Jude, we'll take a look at verse 9. And this is something might be perplexing to some. I have a whole Bible study on this, but the name there we see is Michael. And And what we will learn is that Michael is Christ's name when he was in heaven. And I have a whole study on this. But, uh, but anyway, let's go on. Yet Michael, the archangel, and you, you'll see his name also in Revelation with the war that began in heaven. And we know the wars between Christ and Satan. Isn't that true? Um, yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Jesus, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. So evidently, after Moses died... Uh, Christ came down to Moses' grave and the devil showed up and there was an argument over the body of Moses. And I would imagine the devil was saying something like, hey, this guy sinned, he has come under my power, under my domain, buzz off. And um, which I think is very rude. And what's so amazing to me is that you would have blamed the Lord because this is not the incarnate Lord yet if he had backhanded him across the planet. 
Uh, I wouldn't have, but you know, this really is a rebuke to me to see that God would respond so respectfully. He did not bring, what does the Bible say? A reviling accusation against him, which would have been justified. But he didn't do that. Instead, he says, the Lord rebuke you. Well, what was the rebuke? Well, we discover it on the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus is there talking to Elijah and Moses. So the Lord rebuked him by resurrecting Moses. And that's how we get Moses up there. Um, But these are the three right now that we have uh, definitive knowledge of being up there. The Bible speaks of no others. Let's take a look at uh, number eight. But isn't it true that the soul is immortal and that only the body dies? Isn't that pretty popular? Don't we hear that? The, the soul is immortal. It lives on and on and on and on and on, but it's only the body that dies. Well, let's see what the Bible says. Ezekiel 18.4, the soul who sins shall what? Question, uh, audience, can the soul die? Absolutely. The soul is not immortal. That's what the Word of God says. Irregardless of what your pastor may teach, or if a million people teach, you know the old saying, if a million people believe in a bad idea, it's still what? A bad idea! The Bible says the soul that sins shall die. The wages of sin is death. Uh, Job 4.17, can a what? Mortal be more righteous than God. Wait a second, Job, you made a mistake. Aren't we all immortal? Shouldn't he have said, can an immortal? It's not what he calls us, mortal, subject to death. Can a mortal be more righteous than God? 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16 says, in reference to God, the King of kings, Lord of lords, who, what's that next word? Alone has immortality. Uh, Open your Bibles to 1 Timothy. I want to show you something interesting. And you can check me out later on this, on your computer. You can go home. Don't do it now because you won't pay attention. So 1 Timothy... Chapter 1. If you were to have your computers here and you did a word search in your Bible uh, app on the word immortal, you would get one hit. And this is it. 1 Timothy 1, verse 17. Now to God... Now to the king, eternal, what's the next word? Immortal, invisible to God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. Do the search. The only time in the Bible you'll see the word immortal, you just saw it. That's it. In fact, uh, if you uh, do a word search on the word immortality, only five times does the word appear. We're going to be looking at a number of them in a, in, a, in a few moments. And if you do a search on the word soul, depending on your translation, the word soul appears in Scripture approximately 1,600 times, but never in connection with the word immortal. It's really interesting. If you uh, look at uh, books, religious books from antiquity, you will find the word immortal soul all through it. If you look at uh, Egyptian um, literature, Greek literature, Roman literature, it is smothered with the word, with with those two words, immortal soul. The only literature that we have from antiquity, the only one that does not combine those two words is the Bible. That's the only one. You will not see it there. Question number nine. Who brought forth the first deception on the subject of death? Okay, so how did we get this, Pastor? All right, let's take a look. Bible tells us, back to Genesis we go. Genesis 2.17, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat, for in the days that you eat of it, you shall surely... He didn't say you will die. He says, you will surely die. You can bank on it. If you eat that, you are going to cease existing. You're going to die. But that wasn't the only voice in the garden. Let's take a look in Genesis 3, 4. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall what? 
not surely die. So God says, you're going to die. The devil says, you're not going to die. You're going to keep living. You are immortal. Who told the truth? The majority of the world has bought into the slithering voice of the serpent. This is where this began. Right here. Let's take a look at question number 10. You know, it's really interesting. Let me pause. Well, maybe I shouldn't share that. Number 10. When will the righteous be given immortality? 1 Corinthians 15, 51, and 53. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last what? Trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be what? Raised, incorruptible, and then this what? Mortal must put on what? Now, why put on immortality if we already have it? That's illogical. That is the Bible testimony. No, it's on the last trumpet when immortality then is given to us. First Thessalonians 4.16, For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, referring to the second coming, with the voice of an archangel and the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will be what? Raised First. So those who are faithful to the Lord, those are the ones who experience resurrection first. We'll study in our next study what happens in that second resurrection. But please notice, there is no mention of the wicked receiving immortality. None. We'll talk more about that in our next presentation. Number 11. How does the Bible repeatedly refer to death? John 11, 11 and, thir- and 14 says, Our friend Lazarus does what? Sleeps. Lazarus is dead. And so the Bible refers to death as a sleep. And what's happening in the story, of course, is that uh, Jesus is a few days travel from uh, Lazarus' home. Lazarus, Mary, and Martha were friends of Jesus. He could go to their house and not have to worry about being tricked uh, like he did when he was with the crowds and the Pharisees and the leaders. They were friends. And when Jesus was gone, um, they sent uh, messengers to him that Lazarus was dying and, uh, um, and then uh, he does die, and he informs his disciples that Lazarus is sleeping. And, and, his, and his friends are like, the disciples are like, oh, well, if he sleeps, he's going to be okay. He's going to get better. And the Lord had to clarify, and he says, no, actually, he's dead. So he had to clarify for them. Let's take a look at Matthew 27, 53, 52, excuse me. And the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen, how? Asleep were raised. And so for those, I mentioned to you that for everyone, there is a resurrection for their first death. And we're going to study more of the second death later. There is no resurrection from the second. But for those who love the Lord, they will be raised first. Now I want to share some things about death. Uh, we, taught, we learned already that there's no consciousness in death. What does that mean? There's no passage of time. I remember um, my son, he went to have his, his adenoids. It was his adenoids taken out. And, uh, and I had had that experience already. I knew what that was like. So I was kind of trying to work him through it. And, uh, and it's really funny because Josh, he's one of those, he's my, uh, he, he, just, he, he always looks cool on the outside and he's completely falling apart on the inside. You just, you just don't know it until later he confesses it to you. So I knew this already about him. So I was, you know, I was trying to, hey, Bubba, this is what's going to happen. You're going to go in and, uh, and then they're going to give you something yummy that puts you to, and then you're, and then you're going to be in the recovery. And when I walk in, you're going to, you're going to say to me, dad, when, uh, when are they going to take me in? And I'm going to tell you, they already did. It's going to be just like that, Bubba. It's going to be really quick. And he's like, no, it's not dad. He was just a wreck. And it was really funny. The, the anesthesiologist was just kind of watching him. And so gave him, uh, a, 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 some medicine and he got really yummy after that. He didn't care what happened. But anyway, so he went in for the procedure, and they had him in recovery. <laughs> and I come in, and I said, Bobby, are, are you okay? How are you doing? He says, yeah, I'm doing fine. He says, Dad, when are they going to do the procedure? And I said, Bubba, they already did the procedure. Dad, knock it off. And uh, he just, he didn't think he had, but he had done it. How many of you have had that experience? You know, it, it is amazing, but, but I want you to think about this. There is no consciousness in death. So what are you saying, Pastor? That the moment you die, whatever you're thinking about, at the moment you die, you complete the thought on resurrection morning. There, for a Christian, there is nothing to fear in death. There just isn't. 
You just complete the thought later. There is no passage of time. The dead know nothing. And um, did we do our last one? Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians? We did it. 4.14. For if you believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who what? Sleep in Jesus. You know, we just had a friend, a dear friend, a pastor friend whose eight-year-old boy passed away last week, just before we left uh, Hendersonville. But uh, they have the hope of seeing their little boy again. That hope comforts. You know, it's really interesting. If you, uh, if you study the Bible, um, there are 12 uh, recorded instances of resurrections if you combine the Old and the New Testament. Were you aware of that? 12, 12 recorded instances. And in not one of those instances does somebody come back and say, well, heaven is so awesome, or hell is so bad, be good. You know, there, you, you would think there'd be an awesome opportunity to put a plug. I mean, you think about, um, <laughs> I have an overactive imagination, but I think about Lazarus. I'm trying to picture this. Imagine Lazarus, because, you know, Jesus shows up four days after Lazarus dies. You're aware of that, right? It was four days. So just picture Lazarus dies. He goes to heaven, right? Because he was a good guy. And he's walking the streets of gold. And then he's hearing the music. He's there like three days. And he's hearing music and he's hearing the food and everything. Meanwhile, back on earth, remove the rock and rocks removed. And, and then, uh, so here he is in this bliss and happiness. And all of a sudden the Lord says, come forth. And he's back in the grave. Now, I don't know about you. I'd walk out of there and say, thanks for nothing. Do, do you know what I'm saying? But there's no record of him saying, boy, it's a wonderful place. You're going to really like it there. And you know, it's really interesting today, we're hearing things about uh, near-death experiences or people that claim to die. I can assure you, they weren't dead for four days. It's usually minutes. Or if they're under a cold situation, it could be longer. Their life could be preserved and the decay uh, um, process is delayed because of the cold. But but these things are not true deaths, for one, even though somebody says it is. True death is, four days is pretty convincing to me. Um, but what, what people don't realize is this is a 20th and a 21st century phenomenon, and it's mostly in the West. The devil is pulling a stunt. Somehow, whether it's through technology or I don't know what, but somehow people are having these weird experiences, but doesn't line up with the scriptures. And either we're going to determine what is truth by what the Word says, or we're going to determine it by what people tell us. And friends, we're going to have to make a deception because a decision because the deceptions are on. Take a look at question number 12. Since wizards, witches, and psychics cannot contact the dead, who are they contacting? In Revelation 16, 14, it says, for they are the spirits of what? Devils working what? Miracles. And as we draw closer to the end, this is only going to intensify. Remember, I was doing Bible studies with a motorcycle group, and um, I um, and I was really trying to teach this group of of awesome folks, love these people, to to believe what the Bible teaches over what anyone else has to say, what any pastor has to say. Believe God's word. And anyway, we came to the study on the Bible, and so I felt that I had pretty well prepared them for this lesson to place their confidence in God's word. Well, on this particular day, a big, burly motorcycle guy shows up and sits next to me. I'm like, ooh, he's not ready for this study. And I was really wondering how this was going to go. So I prayed in my heart. I said, Lord, you're going to have to do something because he's not ready for this. So I launched, and I had never seen this guy before, and I never saw him again since after that. He was a friend of the group. He was passing through town or something. But anyway, so we go into the study, and all the way through, he's saying, yes, amen, 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 all the way through. And I was like, wow, okay, maybe he was ready. And um, so anyway, we're done, and I said to him, uh, you know, I was really interested in your responses. You were really touched by this. He said, absolutely. I said, so you believe the Bible testimony? He says, I sure do. And I said, wow, so this is especially meaningful for you. I, I just felt like it was. He says, absolutely. I said, well, why? He said, because my father-in-law died two and a half years ago, and he's been visiting my wife for the last two years. I said, really? I said, so after the study, what are your thoughts? He says, it's not him. It's the devil. And I'm just curious, how many of you, either through your own personal experience or someone you know, has had or is having that experience? 
a number of you. I usually get more hands than that, so I get about a third of you. But this is, this is happening everywhere. But it's not who we think it is. In fact, I remember a story of a man, he was a Christian, but he knew this teaching. He knew what the Bible had to say. And uh, he had just lost his wife. Uh, they had been married three years. And he was in his home grieving, and when he looked up, she walked through the wall. And she was a, a radiant form, and she was sounding, you know, her voice and everything. It was, you know, it was everything about her. And he, there, an, an incredible battle took place between his mind and his heart. Because he, in his heart, he wanted it to be her. But he knew what the Word of God had to say, and, his, and, and so he finally made a decision for the Word. And uh, he cried out the Lord's name, and she disappeared. Uh, we are going to be seeing more and more of this. We have to make our decision based on the word of God. Um, let's take a look at question number 13. Why does Satan want us to believe that the spirits of devils are really alive? Matthew 24, 24 and 25 says, uh, For false Christ, false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to, to do what? To deceive, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. You know, just imagine, if you will, if an angel stands in front of you and says, or, or let's say it's your, it's your uncle Sam, and says, uh, hey, you know what? Uh, I just came from heaven, and the Sabbath, the seventh day, it really isn't Saturday. It's really Sunday. Even though we have studied this, haven't we, that it is clearly the seventh day of the week is Sabbath. So are you going to believe this radiant form or are you going to believe the word of God? You know, the Bible says that the devil can disguise himself even as an angel of light. And the only way to know if you've got an angel of light in front of you, whether it's God's angel or the devil, is by testing what they say to this book. And friends, if we're not living our lives according to this book now, we're not going to test the deceiving angels when they come. We have to be practicing that now so that we'll be ready for the test when it comes. Take a look at number 14. How effective will Satan's use of these evil spirits be in the last days? Revelation 18.23 says, for your sor by your sorceries, how many nations? All were deceived. You know, I don't know if you're aware of this right now, but you know, we're seeing all kinds of trouble coming upon the world, and people are really confronted with the reality that we have issues much larger than our ability to, come to, to cope with, and people are desperate. We have world leaders that are actually dabbling in the occult. We have world leaders that are trying to communicate with uh, the dead to, to, to know what to do now. The problem is they're communicating with demons. And as they're following the counsel of these supposed beings, they're following the counsel of devils. How many of you remember uh, when Hillary Clinton was involved in seances? This came out in USA Today to give uh, Bill counsel, and uh, she was specifically communicating with Thomas Jefferson and John F. Kennedy. How many of you remember that? This is raise your hands high. A few of you, yeah. This is crazy. But this is a lot of what's happening even now. Revelation 18.2. Babylon, the great is fallen, has become a what? A what? A habitation of demons, a prison for every foul spirit. This is a systemic problem. Revelation 12.9. That serpent of old called the devil is Satan who does what? He deceives the whole world. And right now, the occult, you know, when we were kids growing up, people involved in the occult, like in movies, were always these creepy looking people. But today, it's not like that. It's mainstream people. It's attractive people. And now the occult is something that is very uh, desirable. Uh, that's how Hollywood is presenting it. And, you know, we have a, our, this generation of young people are experiencing a lot of pain. A lot of pain. And a lot of uh, loss of control of their lives. And the occult offers control. It's all a deception because <laughs> you're going to end up being controlled. And, uh, and so, uh, occult is very popular today in movies, shows, books. Uh, it, is, it is very, very frightening. Uh, but again, we're living at the, at the eve of the coming of Christ. Number 15, how does God regard these miracles by evil angels? Leviticus 20, 27 says, uh, 
a man or a woman who is a medium or, is, or who has familiar spirits shall surely be put to death. So let's stop, about, let's stop here for a moment. So in the Old Testament, people who were communicating with the dead were to be executed. That was the command of God. If they were communicating with angels, why would he be so upset? What's really happening, and you know, the first time I read that, I was like, whoa, that's kind of heavy, Lord. But what's happening is it, is, it is an emergency measure because now the devil has direct access to the people of God. And it was, it, it was a desperate act to save the people. It was a desperate measure. No games here. This is extremely dangerous. Ephesians, no, 1 Timothy 4.1. Some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of what? Yeah, if we're not learning to have our thinking guided by the Word of God, we will be deceived. Just that simple. Uh, Ephesians 5.11, have no fellowship with unfruitful works of what? Darkness. And a lot of young people today are really caught up in, you know, you would think Harry Potter is a thing of the past. Those books are still out there and young people still reading them. No, my friends, get rid of that. Galatians 5, 19 through 21. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, uh, idolatry, and what? Sorcery, hatred, contention, jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition. This is referred to as works of the flesh. And Revelation 21, 8. What's the first word? Sorcerers. Uh, shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. No games. This is dangerous, but it's going mainstream. Number 16. What glorious power does God offer his people? Philippians 3.10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. My friend, when you know Jesus Christ, you know the one who has the keys of death and can set the dead free. He can open the gates, and he will. He has promised to do so. I remember one night, Josh was probably, I guess he was about 10. It was late one night. We were coming back from a Bible study in, uh, in Hendersonville. And, and, of course, we're back there again, right? And, uh, and we're going through a tiny, tiny, tiny town called uh, Naples. And Naples has a railroad track. And... Um, and, and the track is used, mostly in the evening. I don't see it in the daytime. And, um, and as we were coming up on the track, I didn't see a train or anything. And just as we started to cross, the light, the train was about this far, and the light, and it, it was just on us. And I tell you, you know, they say you can see your whole, your whole life flash before your eyes. I knew we were dead. But still, I went for the accelerator. And I pushed it. It seemed like minutes before the gas reached my engine. <laughs> it took forever. And I heard the tires bark as we shot across the tracks. And I couldn't believe that we survived that. And as soon as the car uh, got to the other side, I, I hit the brakes. And now we were both. <sighs> and I remember looking back and the train was broke down and was, they were, it was in for repairs. But I, did, I couldn't see it till I got onto the tracks because of the angle in which we approached. And I thought we were dead. Both of us, Josh and I, were in a sweat. And uh, I looked at him and I said, I said, Bubby, for a moment there, I thought our next thought was going to be the second coming. <laughs> and, we were, and he was quiet and then he said to me, that would have been all right. That would have been all right. You know, when you know Jesus... Death is nothing to fear. There is no consciousness in death. And whether you're in there five minutes or, or 5,000 years, there is no passage of time. The last thing you think about at death, you complete the thought in resurrection morning. That is the Bible testimony. So here is the challenge for us tonight. Your response to Jesus. Would you like to accept Jesus' offer to give you the power of the resurrection in your life. Is that what you want tonight? Praise the Lord. Let's close out with prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, we are so thankful that you are the resurrection and the life. You have the final word in death. 
We're so thankful that your Bible, in your Bible, you communicate to us that death is but a sleep followed by a resurrection and that you have the keys to death, not just in opening the, the prison doors of those who died, but also in explaining through your word what death really is. We know that the devil has lots of confusion out there. He really doesn't want us to understand this aright because he wants to deceive us. But Lord, help us to remember your word is truth, and we will know the truth, and the truth will set us free. We thank you and praise you. Bless each here today as they travel back to their homes. Bless them richly, and may they share this good news with someone else. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.